Hi, I'm Suraj Partha. Welcome to Art in All Its Forms. Today I'm speaking with Kyle Allen. Kyle is an actor, dancer, and performer based in Los Angeles. He has appeared as a series regular on Hulu's The Path, starring alongside Aaron Paul and Michelle Monaghan. He has also appeared in FX's American Horror Story and the film All My Life, starring Harry Shum Jr. and Jessica Roth. Starting his training in dance from a young age, Kyle studied at the prestigious Kirov Academy of Ballet in Washington, D.C., and will soon be appearing as a jet in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story coming out in 2021. Kyle will also be appearing in the film The Map of Tiny Perfect Things alongside Catherine Newton. The film comes out February 12th of this year. Kyle, thank you so much for being with me. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy to be here. It's painful. <laughs> so we know each other, we've known each other for a couple of years now. We met at an acting class in LA, Lauren Patrice Nadler's acting class. And this must have been, what, like five years ago, give or take? Oh my God, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Too much time has passed. Time is a vacuum. I, don't know. <laughs> I think so, yeah. But like damn near six years. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I mean, we were joking a little bit in the, in the pre-show that I met you and you were always like an enigma to me. <laughs> In this weird way, like I met people, and I mean to be honest, like just joining that class, I was in awe of of the work that that people were doing in that class, and so I wasn't asking many questions. I was mostly asking myself questions about whether I'm ready to to go toe to toe with all you guys, and so I never got a chance to like talk to you about your background or anything like that, and and so I'm excited to to uncover the mystery here. That's so funny. I entered that class the exact same way. No idea what I was doing. That was definitely a, a wonderful place to begin learning about the thespianauts. Yeah, well, well, why don't we start off with how you grew up? I mean, where you're from and, and what you were into uh, as a kid. You always uh, struck me as a person with a very unique personality. I, I, I appreciate that. That's much nicer than calling me a, an asshole madman. I like <laughs> unique. Unique is a much better way of putting it. Um, <laughs> very, very uh, diplomatic of you. Um, yeah, no, I grew up in a little town called Livermore, California. It's in uh, Northern California, kind of close to San Francisco. My dad was a salesperson, well, a windsurfing and skiing instructor turned salesman. And my mother is an artist, jeweler, and a stay-at-home mom. Gosh, I was a weird kid, always been a weird kid. I had a really easy time getting along with everyone never got like close to people i think i think i I think i eventually had like a few close friends but but uh but i I, it was strange like everyone knew me i knew everyone was friendly with everyone no one hated me but i still felt like weirdly outcasted but i had way too much energy so my parents put me in a sport that's called sports acrobatics gymnastics it's a bit of a mouthful and uh yeah i i took that and ran with it i did that for about six years um, I was on the junior Olympic national team. It, it's this insane sport where you're like, they 
chuck you up in the air and you do a bunch of backflips, you're doing handstands on people's heads. It's like the Cirque du Soleil stuff, like a bunch of people. My sister and I both did it and she actually won worlds twice uh, and then went to Cirque du Soleil for, for a few years. Wow. Okay. So that it runs in your family. I... Yeah. Family, family circus. My dad used to joke is say, you know, in, when he was growing up, you never wanted your kids to run off and join the circus. <laughs> <laughs> and that was both of our goals for a very long time. Um, let's see. I got, I got, after 12, I didn't have a partner. It's not a very, um, not a very popular sport. And I kept having partners that kept getting injured. Um, and so I started doing break dancing and street dancing and because uh, that was kind of the closest, most intensive thing. I wanted to compete. There was one little dance studio in my town called Tiffany's Dance Academy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was one of two boys. Uh, and, and I had to take one of each class. And this is only important because I was forced to take one ballet class a week, which I, my God, I hated. I hated and I was terrified the entire time because like what if one of my buddies like came by and like saw me in the window and I had taken a ballet class with a bunch of I was mortified. Now it's very funny because few few people know this about me that I also took dance classes very early on when I was nine or ten and I, I had no body awareness um no real sense of what I was doing and for me like I you know what same kind of thing because I was thinking about possibly moving to New York and like acting on Broadway and stuff, I started taking like tap lessons and trying to do some hip hop, which I mean, it was uh, one of those same things. Like you feel very emasculated because you're the only guy in a class of at that time, it was like seven year olds, like there were six and seven year olds and I was 10 and they could, you know, run circles around me. And so I have a little bit of the understanding of what it means to be like in a small dance class. Yeah, I was, it was, no, no one ever, you know, my close friends knew, but no one ever like bothered. No one ever asked, um, which it was, it was great for me because dance was so, so hard. Like sports acrobatics is insanely difficult. I mean, we did three and a half hour practices every single day. So from the time I can remember, I mean, I started when I was about like six doing sports acro from, and, and since then, since I was about six, I was doing three and a half hour practices six days a week and near the end you know when i was 11 i think i was doing close to five six hours a day wow um i would do i would do morning we got super early do morning practices and then go to school but yeah yeah and so so i couldn't do that anymore because you need a partner to work with i didn't have anyone to work with so i needed dance to kind of fill that for me so i needed to be doing dance for three and a half hours a day six days a week and so i, I was taking every class and you know, competing. I took all of the hip hop classes and then just one of every other class, just faked my way through tap and, and ballet and all the rest of it. Um, and then this teacher they brought in from San Francisco, she taught at like a branch studio in San Francisco. And I really credit her for anything of note to happen in my life. You know, you just meet people that just kind of are like, hey, you got a thing, like run with it. Um, her name is Valentina. Uh, and she went to the original Kirov. I, I went to, I later, this story ends up with me going to the Kirov Academy in Washington, D.C. There's the the OG Kirov, if you will, mm-hmm. in um, the, the Marinsky Theater in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I hope that's right. <laughs> 
oh, you know why I know about it? I've heard of, of the Marinsky Theater from the classical music side because I've had to play like the Tchaikovsky and Rimsky-Korsakov music. And those, a lot of those were ballets. We, we probably have a lot of crossover knowledge because they taught all of that to mm. us as well. So Valentina kind of tells my mom, like, you must, you must have him go to school. Like, you, you must be ballet dancer. And I was, I was like, no, like, that's my least favorite thing. <laughs> like, I hate ballet. Like, it's the worst 45 minutes of my week. I don't know. They all, they all talk to me about it. And so I think it's like a 12-year-old a just, like, having your brain expand. Like, oh, I could travel. I could see all these things. Like, I could do all these things. Like, you know, there's the Royal Ballet Academy that I ended up auditioning for because of her. And, uh you know, the, the Kirov in DC and, and the, um, you know, San Francisco ballet were the three that I auditioned for. And I didn't get into Royal. I got into the Kirov and I got into San Francisco and she was like, go to the Kirov. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but, but they were like, you know, he's not good at ballet, but he, <laughs> he has the potential to be. And what she meant is that I was, I was a performer that I had, you know, I had charisma. I had, I had this, this innate desire and, and talent for, I guess, bringing people in and then performing storytelling in front of a group of people, being engaging in front of a group of people. I think like when you're watching someone dance, there's a lot of technical dancers that are amazing. Um, just like, I, I, I like using Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan's huge for me. He's one of my idols, but there's tons of phenomenal martial artists. But Jackie Chan tells a story to an audience while he's fighting. That's the difference. And, you know, we were talking about crossing over art forms, but that's one of the things is they're telling you a story while they're doing it. You know how they're feeling. You know what they're thinking. You know what the movement means to them. It's, it's a whole, you know, new way of, of um, expression long story short i end up going to this summer intensive at the Kirov academy it's about six weeks uh, for better or worse it took me about five days and then i've never really missed anyone ever again in my life something clicked for me and i was just like the world is home and that's how it is so you're like oh like it's not just the confines of my town and my home and my family like there's like i can be home here I can have friends in a community here. Like you can kind of do that anywhere because people are different in tons of amazing ways, but also the same in a few core amazing ways. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think the the reasons that people decide to become an artist and sometimes how how tangential uh, it can be to what, what we actually do. Like you were talking about uh, traveling and getting to meet people around the world and, and become friends with them in their respective places wherever they are and I feel like actors and artists in general we have this experience of uh, working with someone on a project in a faraway place and then being friends and then you know running into each other like years later as if nothing has changed um, and, I, and few people get a chance to have a community in Amsterdam you know, where uh, I feel like I have a community of musicians who I've met who I know they're well enough where if I go to Amsterdam it can just be like I was there yesterday. And the same in New Orleans and the same in Atlanta and New York and L.A. It's a really unique experience. It is. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I ended up going to that same school, unbeknownst to me. But it was for me, it was you got to be pretty crazy as a 13 year old to be like, I'm going to go to a school for for ballet. Yeah. So tell me tell me a little bit about the psychological 
effective going there? Because uh, I can imagine that you're, you're away from home. And uh, I don't know, just from even hearing a little bit of this, you know, the, the Russian ballet and the, let's just say the philosophy of it. I mean, I had a Russian piano teacher and I can only imagine that there's a very specific way of doing things uh, in that particular style and, and in that kind of conservatory style education. So tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So much to tell. Um, yeah, I think it was amazing for me to go there because you have to be absolutely insane to go there. And I was absolutely insane. And so I was like, ah, my people. Um, <laughs> still hated ballet, though. I didn't, I didn't like it. I mean, it was, it was mind-numbingly difficult. But I love that. I didn't love ballet, but I love things that are insanely hard, that feel like they're impossible, that beat the crap out of me. Mm. In that sense, I'm an, I'm an absolute unyielding masochist. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and so artistically, I was given such a phenomenal training because we had such small classes, such a low number of students. I, I just got, I got this phenomenal education. Um, so I'm really thankful to the school and the staff that was there at the time for that because I was fortunate enough to get high enough scholarships. This was not a school that my family could afford to go to. But yeah, I was, I was able to continue going to that school on scholarship for five years and graduate there. I mean, you know, I kind of, I think the seed of what your podcast is about was actually planted there is because in order to teach someone about ballet, you have to learn the classics. And when you learn the classics, you learn about other artists. When you learn about other artists, you know, learn how other artists made, you can start to see how they interact, how they, how they intermingle. There's so many, um, I mean, all great ballets were, were made off of stories that pre-existed or sometimes scores that pre-existed. Dance is so often a, a response to a previously existing artistic stimulus. Interesting. A choreographer will hear a piece of music or a story, and that will inspire them into something else. Everything I do, so I, I draw, I write, I choreograph, I, I dance, you know, all of those things. All of that comes specifically from music. Yeah, all of my artistic yeah. inspiration, I, I hear a piece of music and I start seeing pictures or movement or, or, or designs or, or, or something, you know, an instance. And, and that will be the, the catalyst for the rest of the, the project. And I think that really, the ball started rolling there. And at the same time, it's completely stifled. Because uh, in those classes, you are you are you are taught, you're taught that you're you're worthless. You're taught that your self-expression is earned by your technique, mm. um, which I think it has a lot of wisdom. But for kids, it's a lot. To, it's a lot to absorb. It was a lot of undoing for me. I I had to when I graduated, I was injured. Didn't want to go to a ballet company. Could not go to. Co- I mean, you couldn't even get me to think about college. I was so done with being in that in that machine that I was like the the idea of even applying for a college was like nails on a chalkboard. I was like, "Why?" Well, I know what that because I know what that commitment is. I knew what that commitment was at that age. I knew what it took to be in that environment. Like it's it's you're always exhausted. Like you, I look at pictures of myself. Like we are rail thin, just skin bone and like muscle. We're all shredded. We're all pale because we're inside all the time. Bags under eyes because we're exhausted. I mean, like it wasn't brutal. It's like it, we weren't being <laughs> abused, but like it's it's insane. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you say about how um, you felt like what they were teaching you is that 
expression is something that you earned by having good technique, which is, to me, very backwards because I feel like we have the right as human beings, and not even the right, we just have the ability as human beings to express ourselves, and I feel like the technique is what gives us the ability to to refine it, but the expression comes first, in my opinion, at least in my in my understanding of what I do. And so I wonder, did you have to find uh, a different way of approaching that in your head, or, or do you still feel like, I mean, I don't know, the technique is, is foundational to what we do. I mean, without it, um, you can hurt yourself, you can uh, not really know how to reproduce what you had produced once. So I, there's no doubt that technique is important. But but how do you think about that? I think it's both, uh, which is which. But I also think it's a it's a it's a never ending exploration because there's part of it that's deeply unique and, and personal, deeply unique to the individual, and that's the artistic side of it. Uh, I think Lin Manuel Miranda said it in a tweet once that I loved, <laughs> which was. Um, Oh, something he was talking about. I, you know, he, he's like, I know you're angry. I know you're this. I know you're that. But what he ended up saying was, you feel a certain way. You have something to tell the world. Instead of just screaming at the world and pounding your fists and like, know this thing that is true. Build us a bridge to where you are. And it has to be a bridge that people can walk over. You know, that, that's what he said. He said, build us a bridge to where you are. And like, let's be a bridge builder. Technique is the beautiful act of service that an artist does to allow other people to experience their vision. Um, yeah. And that's a very real part of it. But when you get hung up on that, people get so hung up on the idea of being so technically proficient, which I think happens a lot in schools because, because that's what it's about. That's what they're teaching you. That's what you learn first. Um, and I really could have done well with someone teaching me and talking to me about performance. So that was something I kind of had to scrape together after the fact. Well, that's that's a very good segue for, uh, I think, what I wanted to get, get into next, which is your injury is only kind of legend to me. So so take me from the, the, the point where, you know, you get injured as a dancer to when you decide, okay, I'm, I'm packing up and I'm, I'm moving to LA to act. Because like to most people, you know, you like graduated from a ballet school and then for you to decide to become an actor, having no, you know, quote unquote, formal training doing that, that's a pretty big jump. So how, how did that work out? Yeah. Okay. So injury first, I would say um, <clears throat> really important part of my life, actually. Hmm. Um, I get this surgery, um, <clears throat> as a preventative me measure because of a, a specific way in which my chest was developing that was going to be negative to my health when I was like 30. And so they, they fix it. And what it was, it was a metal bar in my chest to, to move my bones in a certain way. So there's a metal bar fastened on each side and then put underneath my chest to, to brace it while I was growing. Um, and I had that in my chest for two years and it was incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I hope I don't die when I'm 30 because that'll be a waste of two years. But yeah, actually I spent my senior year do, doing ballet with a metal bar in my chest, which was, I actually did a lot of way more stupid stuff with a metal bar in my chest after that. Um, but it was amazing. It was very, very humbling. Pain is an incredibly humbling thing. How so? 
I mean, I could go into a lot of things, but most specifically your mortality. You, 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 you know, everyone's invincible when they're 17, 18. And, and it, from 17 to 19, I was taught that I was astoundingly invincible. Um, <laughs> I was incredibly fresh. I mean, it was something I, I, sneezes were terrible because when your chest compresses it was it was astounding but you're just you're you're waiting for it. I never would have thought of that wow oh my gosh any anything like deep breaths laughter um past a certain degree i actually i think you probably noticed that i don't laugh very loudly i, I laugh louder now um but i actually started laughing almost like silently my God, Kyle, I never knew this about you. Holy crap. What the heck? This explains so much now about the first years that I knew you. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, dancers already are, are how we are taught to hold ourselves so tensely. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And then I push it because I wanted to be a part of a team. You know, I, I wanted to be in class and not sit out all the time. So I would push it and then be an incredible pain just incredible pain couldn't sleep you can't lay down sitting up like all these weird you know you can you know, a foreign object attached yeah. fastened to your rib cage you know it's it's terrible and i would take i had uh oxycodone codeine yeah. something like that whatever it was yeah i was flying after that did not take those more than probably 10 times in two years mm. um i just i mean it was it was just, it was scary it was scary it was scary. The, what they prescribed to me initially, uh, right after the surgery was done, I could. I mean, I, I, I could. It could have killed me. Mm. I was on it. I did their dosage for two weeks. I was supposed to do it for three months. I did their dosage for two weeks and was like, I cannot do this. This is insane. I'll take the pain, but I am not in reality. And the come down, becoming unaddicted after two weeks. It's it's the most miserable. You're out of your mind. You're completely out of your mind, and not in a good way, in a very bad way. And it feels like it's never going to end. I, I can I can only imagine. It's very bad. It's very bad. Opioids are scary. That's why I wanted to I wanted to take a quick moment to say um, we got to rethink that. We got to rethink that. There's something that's not quite working in that in that uh, pain medication realm, and I think it should be adjusted. <laughs> yeah. No. It's it's a good PSA. It's very important. Moving on. I was injured, graduated, and didn't want to go to college. Or uh, a ballet company, right? Which were which were kind of your options, at least as you. <laughs> also, my, my home life. I won't get into it too much. Uh, my parents wouldn't wouldn't like that. So, out of respect for them, I'll just say my home life was it was deteriorating. You know, okay. we we lost our house. We did all these things, and so my parents would have, in a perfect world, been supporting me after I graduated uh, and been paying for some of college and. But basically, there just wasn't there wasn't a structure. I was just about to turn nineteen, and I moved to LA. A friend of the family and choreographer was like, "Look, you can crash on my couch and heal and train and figure out what you want to do next." And I said, "Okay." That's it's remarkable that that you came here and you had the 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 foresight to kind of say, you know what? Okay, I need some time to rest. And uh, things aren't going the you know the way I expected them to go, and, and that's very impressive. Yeah, it, it was it was less foresight and more of like you know what, fuck it. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, I gotta be honest with you. Um, which is which is kind of like what I did. It was like well, you want to be an acrobat? That's insane. Well, fuck it. You know, you want to go to ballet school? Well, fuck it. And you're like, well, you just spent five years trying to be a professional dancer. You want to 
just go to LA and sleep on a couch. Hey, fuck it. Um, it's kind of how it went down. I street performed with a metal bar in my chest on Venice Beach, like an idiot. <laughs> I did that for spare cash. I did non-union commercials. I did some of the craziest stuff. I mean, like I, LA casting is a is a magical, magical website. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, for those of you who don't know, I mean LA casting and actors access, basically the things that are like usually non-union gigs. Um, but everything gets posted up there and you, uh, as like an early actor, you can basically make a profile and then you submit, you can self submit on the computer. You self submit your stuff to whoever's trying to cast, you know, an indie film or or whatever the case may be, or a non-union commercial. And then you can go in and audition for these things and, and try to get booked on this stuff. But it is a wild, uh, entrepreneurial endeavor as an early actor for sure you know it's a total madhouse i think when you first come here because you just have no idea how it works and this industry works unlike any other like it's just totally different and so you know i mean my dad's a a radiologist and you know he went to medical school and and did the whole bit and and he's a you know a well-trained professional but he has zero understanding of 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 what it takes to, to be out here and i was lucky that I had a teacher who could at least show me the ropes in the beginning and help me get an agent and a manager. But if you don't know how to do that, um, or you don't have someone telling you how to do that, I'll tell you, when you move to LA, there's no sign, there's no brochure, there's nothing that tells you how in the world to start this in the first first place. Are you you ready for this? Are you ready for this? This is what I did when I was like, hey, okay, I'm going to try acting. Like I'm going to be an actor, not a dancer, you know, I'm not going to try acting. There's a wiki how page. And you want to talk about step one, you want to talk about square fucking Uno, <laughs> like <laughs> the wiki how page is where I started. <laughs> That's incredible. What a story. So you go from there and you're doing these non-union gigs and then you end up at, at Lauren's. So did you, did you Google her? I had a roommate that, that he was like, well, I'll, you know, I wanted to go. I was like, he got in. I was like, I want to go. It's like, well, you have to meet with her first. And I was like, that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was talking about how intense she was. And I was like, and I was just thinking back to my, my Russian ballet teachers. And then I was like, uh, like, fuck, yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like I can handle it. <laughs> right. I, I think I, I think I got it. You know, I've cornered the market on intense teachers. I came and I, I pretty much lived there. Is if you take one class, you can audit all the rest of them. And that's exactly what I did. And it blew my mind that other people didn't do that. I think that was one thing that definitely helped me along was that I say this a lot. When I came to Los Angeles, I put about 20% of the energy that was required of me at my ballet school into my acting career. And people were losing their minds. I was answering emails on time. I was just showing up for classes. I was just coming to class prepared. And people were like, oh my God, this kid is serious. You had the work ethic to begin with. Um, And it it really is amazing to me uh, because I I get sort of a similar response you know, when it comes to my managers, they're just like, wow, you're so on top of things with your tapes. I'm like, well, well, you gave me the deadline of when to submit them and I submit them before the deadline. Like, that's it. I'm not doing, you know, I'm not doing anything other than that, other than coaching for the audition, working on the material and turning it in. And 
it's amazing how far that gets you in this industry. It gets you so far that all you have to do is just be on top of it. Answering emails is a, a huge one that people just neglect. Just just communicate. Just work. You know, do do work like any anyone else would in any other industry. Um, right. So what I think, what I think, I have opinions about this. Like that. This, is, this is another thing that Kyle thinks about. But I think it's because we all have these dreams, and and people, you want to keep something a dream, so you don't take active steps to bring it into reality. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to deal in dreams. I want to want to deal in realities. Like I want this to become a reality, so I treat it like a reality. I don't dream about it. I think about it as an event that's going to happen if I make it happen. It's difficult to articulate, but a lot of people sit and ruminate and dream about things, and that's how they relate to it. Most people have kind of like a defunct relationship with what it is they do. It's separate from them. Whereas like, I think something I did differently was constantly bring it into reality. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember you being, I remember you being in those classes um, for like the first you know two years that I was in class, exactly what you said. I mean, you were there. Like, what we I think we were in a Saturday class together, and there was like a Monday night you could audit. There was a Wednesday and a Thursday, and and you can do improv on all four days a week. And you were there consistently for two years, all four days a week, and and it shows, right? Like it, it's it's kind of an amazing thing because, you know, I I've ha- I've seen this for so many people now, having been in that class for a few years of when the for, the improv format that we do clicks and when you can see that manifest in their scene work. And I've seen it happen to many, many, many people. And it's solely, at least in my opinion, it's solely a product of time, like an equation of the number of classes you take and like there's like a little window after like let's say 60 of those and like you get to that point and you're like, yep, there it is. And, it, and of course, when you're there more often and you get a chance to experience it and you get thrown into it, like you said, when you see the ugly things, when you get just torn apart for something that happened in the improv, it happened in a split second and you're like, oh, damn, okay, I really dropped the ball there. Then you learn how to work on that. That instinct starts to build itself inside of you and then it starts becoming like it's second nature. Absolutely. Yeah. Good improv days are good are good days. Bad improv days are bad days. That's, that's, <laughs> that's how I, I live my life. Well, that, that's a great segue to the show that you did. So you were on this Hulu TV show called The Path, which starred Aaron Paul and uh, yourself, Hugh Dancy and Michelle Monaghan as well. So tell me about that. I mean, tell me about the time when you, you were ready. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't um, <laughs> let me just put it that way. Okay. Uh, I, I, I had just done an indie film and got better agents from that and just doing every audition nonstop. And I was getting so close on so many things. I just, I remember very little about it all, but I remember, I think I went in testing for that for about like four times. I was so sick of it. that I just remember screaming in my car as I often do, um, you spend a lot of time in your car in Los Angeles as an actor. Also, it's it's amazing. Like, I, I you know, I've worked with with Lauren on, on scenes, and and one of the things that that she likes to do is, um, and a lot of actors do this. That like is sort of go back to a certain time in your life, and then find a way to connect that to 
your scene work to find like you know wherever the emotional through line is and so many of those emotional through lines are me sitting in the driver's seat of my car oh beautiful like so so the my environment is the steering wheel and it's like you know like looking out into LA so many of those pivotal moments i have i have gotten like into a relationship in a car or like a very short relationship i guess i have been i have broken up with someone in the car i have found out about a really big betrayal in the car like i just so many of those moments have happened anyways continue brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> i love that yeah i mean that's how it goes I remember screaming is being like, I'm sick of this. Like enough. Like if I'm, if I'm good, I'm almost there. Like just give me a freaking part. Um, and then I remember getting it. I just remember saying, whoa. So that's what that feels like. And yeah, I mean, from the kid who's got like no cash to a lot, like, like who's this is your life completely, completely changes. A lot of hustling, and then, but you you do have these moments. So tell me about being on that set. So how, what was it like to interact with like I mean three really great actors? I just treated it like class. Days that I wasn't working, I would stay there. I would watch every scene. I just I just was like I, because I in my head I'm like I hope they don't figure out I can't act because I still believe they couldn't act. I'm like oh they've made a mistake. Give me this part. Um, maybe it's just because I my hair and I don't know what it is but uh <laughs> you know you commit you're like this is my set this is my show but yeah I remember them asking me they're like you're here all the time like what when you know you can go home Kyle and I was like no nah, man like this is I don't I don't know how to do this like this is my first job like you guys are my teachers like this is my school and then that really is how I treated it because I knew that I didn't know. I didn't get a job and say, I know how to do this. I have yeah. never gotten a job and be like, I know how to do this. Like my, and, and the second I do, yeah, yeah. My, so you did my that for, gets kicked. for two I seasons. Just, well, actually, wait, first of all, this is just three seasons. It was three someone. seasons. Ah, yeah, <laughs> like, it was a really you know, nice show. I, I kept up with it. Know. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I kept up with it near the end of the third season, but I was watching consistently. I was, and a lot of people are. But, uh, but I, you know, have to have a healthy relationship with that, I think, is ideal. Yeah, yeah. So you did that for three seasons. It was three seasons. It's it was a it was definitely a an experiment. It was definitely like we we really did some interesting and really cool stuff on that show. It was just kind of right at the beginning of all these digital networks, and it was one of like one of that's the true. First. It was like it was like Handmaid's Tale on in the path. I mean, like, it was really, I think, ambitious for a new streaming show to have plot material like that, where people have to really think and have to engage with the show on a philosophical and intellectual level. So tell me a little bit about how you connected up with dance again. So for those of you who don't know, well, I guess most people wouldn't know it at the moment, but you were a dancer in the upcoming West Side Story film, which is directed by the wonderful Steven Spielberg, and I'm very, very excited to see this. And yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. I can say that. 
Yeah, no, right. We were talking about what you can and can't say, and and how no, knowing what the what the NDAs are like. Like no, nothing, nothing. Um, I won't make you say anything about it, but I think they released like a you know a handful of stuff. It's it's being you know all the original music is being reorchestrated. Yeah, it was done by Gustavo Dudamel conducted yep. the orchestration of it. I think we got to work with him. That was amazing. You know, Stephen Sondheim consulted all of the estates of the. Um, oh my God! You know, the Robbins estate, Sondheim himself and his estate. They, they're doing it correctly. So you go from the path, and you've, um, you know, just come off of doing this TV show. What brings you to decide? Okay, it's time for me to start dancing again. Or had you been dancing uh, intermittently throughout? Because you know, you had, last time, you know, in in your chronology, as we've talked about it you know you were in a lot of pain and so you weren't uh doing that and, and came to acting so how, how did you make the the full circle back so at 19 is when i got the the bar taken back out uh and the recovery after that was really quick um and so i immediately started moving again I'm, I'm always training throughout the entirety of everything we talked about i'm always training i'm always dancing on my own time i'll rent studio space i'll dance in an alleyway you know i remember dragging out closet mirrors like the sliding doors um broken uh sliding doors out into an alleyway to just to to just I, it's just something you have to do it never leaves you and so i, I definitely always kept with it um, that said, I hadn't been learning choreography from anyone for a while. I had created a piece, a, a dance video. I saw it. It was wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I was so excited to see that. Just a brilliant labor of love between a, a few you know, creative compadres. I'll put a link mine. to it in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, and so I think that that was, I'd been training extensively for that. And with the, you know, Cash on the path, I was able to produce it, co-produce it uh, with the Liam Johnson, and yeah, I mean, it was it was that was amazing. That was a really amazing experience for me, and that was keeping, kind of keeping dance central in my life. And I thought like that was amazing, and that video helped me get West Side Story. So you have a dance because did you have a dance agent or you had someone? No, so they needed dancers first, but you also needed to be able to act. You also need to be able to sing. Um, and the order they kind of went in was was dance and then act and then singing. So the first cut was dance, second cut was acting, third cut was was singing. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they'd seen my my dance video. I got the audition. They did the audition. They asked us to, to ask me to come back for the callback. And I remember the choreographer like videoed us so that we could have the choreography so that we could memorize it for the next day. And I remember watching it and just being so appalled. <laughs> because I hadn't learned a style from a choreographer in so long. And so I immediately went to the, we were at a dance studio in downtown LA and I immediately went to the receptionist and was like, which one of these studios are available? And she was like, this one. And I was like, how long? And I was like, I paid for that time. I just ran it over and over and over and over again until the place closed. We did that. There was another callback in New York, which was you're either going home on Wednesday or you're going home on Friday. And then a couple of weeks later, I found out I got the part. Well, first of all, congratulations. It's um, quite the achievement. I know we don't, I don't want to talk too much about any specifics, like I said, but then what's it like? I mean, you're, you're going six months and you're having to, you know, do choreography. And, and obviously, I can only imagine how intense 
that production must have been. So just from a process perspective, what was it like kind of jumping back into something that you had done many years before? Did it feel new to you? I felt felt right, right at home, right at home. Definitely it did inform the rest of my career. I have to be engaged on multiple levels. In simple terms, I got to move. It's not that like I'm not interested in, in certain scripts. It's more that on set, on the day, if there's not a million things happening, I'm, 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 I'm not at my best when there's a bajillion things to do and you have to think about your entire physical recovery and how you're moving the objects around the stage and setting up for the cameras, you're working with the crew, and then there's your entire emotional performance and bringing the character, relaxing, and your vocalization, and you're like, endless. Like, there you go. That's where I'm on. You like the chaos. That is where I am born to be. But when it's like, come in, say these lines, say them again, say them again. Okay, leave. Like, I kill me. <laughs> way that dance relates to my acting it's really nuanced and bizarre but when i listen to a piece of music again everything comes from music you and you're dancing or you're improvising what is it evoking from you how can you move most authentically to this music like what is how is your body creating the most genuine expression right it comes into you and all that you are and then you're going to move in a certain way to express that you're not going to affect it right Mm -hmm. um you're not gonna play on it and you can tell you can tell this and it just it makes you go when you watch someone really move the way they they would that person the way they would to that music that's a the, the choreography is genuine to the core of the music when you do that it makes people just lean in you're like that's real that's that's genuine that's beautiful um, and so I look for the same thing in acting. I thought, like, what are these words creating within me? And then I have to also say the words. But, but that commitment to authenticity is the exact same. It's a kind of waiting to be moved and moving alongside that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't get to dictate the music. Same way I don't get to dictate the script. I respond accordingly. So... Tell me what is next. And I, I'm going to start with the fact that we have this little interesting, I know a little bit about what's next because I got an audition uh, for the film that you recently shot, um, which it, tell me, it remind me of the title again. Map, the Map of Tiny Perfect Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got an audition and I, I messaged you about it and everything and I didn't get the role. I don't hold it against you. It's fine. Um, <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, it's it's the way, uh, you know, the industry works. So it, I'm very happy that, that you're shooting this thing and uh, or that you shot it and that it should be coming out soon. So, but uh, uh, tell me a little bit about that and uh, when we, we should be expecting that and then uh, what else is in store? Yeah, um, it's a really beautiful little film about a kid, two young adults that are stuck in a day. Uh, so it's a bit like Groundhog Day and a bit like Palm Springs that just came out, but it's actually like a very, like a, from a, a younger person's perspective, I think that the day, I believe the day is used as a catalyst for not wanting to grow up. And especially, I think, I think it talks really strongly about like, you know, why would you? And uh, I think I'll leave it at that. Tell uh, people where they can find you. I don't know if you have an online presence that you would like to plug. Um, if not, I can see me when i'm around kind of I'll, <laughs> I'll be in la for a while i hope i run into you i think i go to gelson's a lot 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, dude, for sure. I, I yeah, I have I have an Instagram. I I don't I don't use it. It's been deleted off of my phone for most of the pandemic. Um, but it's there. Uh, snarf, snarf my life. <laughs> <laughs> snarf my life. I'll put a link to it, but I'll I'll put a link to your work. I mean, as you said earlier, you know, it, we don't necessarily like talking about what we do, but we do like to show people what we have done. With that being said, Kyle, thank you very, very much for talking with me. It's it's so exciting to have conversations like this and to have one with an old friend. I'm really, uh, I feel privileged and glad that we could do this. Yeah, man. All right. Take care. Take care, man. You can subscribe to Art in All Its Forms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Art in All Its Forms Pod. That's art in all its forms pod. Uh, if you want to send us an email with uh, comments, questions, concerns, musings, you can email us at aiaifpod at gmail.com. That's aiaifpod at gmail.com. Thanks. <laughs>